You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 65 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for January 2019. Joining me today, I have a panel that is geographically very well spread out, but not particularly large in number, but really high in quality. So, you know, all good, really. Uh, so on my eastern side, I am joined by Nick Riley from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. It's uh, good to be back in, in 2019. Yeah, it's. I, I, was, I got it wrong all month, so I'm glad I got it right while opening the show. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a nice change. Um, and then from my western side, a long, long, long way to my western side, we are also joined by Linda Goucher. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. It's good to be back also. Mm, pleasure to have you, particularly given the month's worth of news we have. I am so relieved to have you here because I would have, I would have not liked to have to deal with this particular month's worth of news without your expertise. Thank you very much. So yeah, and I'm, go ahead. We have oh so much news to get stuck into this month. There are months where I have to struggle to find stories for the show notes and this was not one of those. I usually the show notes take about two hours to prep. I was three hours in yesterday going, oh, my God, will this ever end? And I still had another hour to go, it turns out. So it's it's a lot of news. So first off, I just want to touch on some legal cases so that we stay in the loop of what's going on. Um, Quite important in the general scheme of things, a federal magistrate judge in Oakland, California, denied an application for a warrant to seize every phone in a building, regardless of who owned it. Now, they had probable cause to go into the building because they, they believed, you know, they had reason to believe there was some drug stuff going on in the building. But what they wanted was a warrant to take every phone, regardless of whether it belonged to one of their named suspects or not. And then they also wanted the right to unlock that phone using biometrics, regardless of who it belongs to. And uh, Judge Candace Westmore said no. Uh, and in her ruling, she cited the Fourth Amendment, which is the right to um, uh, protection from unreasonable search and seizure, if I remember correctly. Correct, yep. Phew, because for just a moment there, I thought I, I couldn't tell which was fourth it and which mixed was them up. <laughs> no, you got it. So by wanting everything, that's considered overly broad and hence unreasonable. And then the Fifth Amendment is your protections from self-incrimination. And interesting, this, this particularly caught my eye, is that the, in her ruling, the judge described a phone as being effectively an extension of our brain. And therefore, any way of opening that phone is testimony against oneself. And you can't testify against yourself. You can give physical evidence against yourself. You can be forced to be fingerprinted, but you can't be forced to testify against yourself. So the question is, is unlocking your smartphone testimonial? And that's something which different courts in the US have reached different conclusions on. Now, in this case, I really liked the the reasoning in the ruling. I really liked the logic in the ruling and the fact that the judge underlined the fact that the law needs to catch up with technology and needs to take that into account, that this is just not what was people had in mind when the Constitution was written. Um, so... 
This is a very interesting ruling. Uh, it sets an interesting precedent, but of course, a precedent that's in a collision course with other precedents. So this is probably going to slowly make its way up towards the Supreme Court at some stage. Now, this is a magistrate judge in uh, a district court, a federal district court, which means that before it gets anywhere in the Supreme Court, the next level up is the federal circuit. And then, so the Federal Circuit has an appeals court, and then if it goes above that is the point where you could apply to the Supreme Court, who will then choose whether or not they want to weigh in on the case. Now, given the fact that different, at the moment, different districts have had a different opinion, if different circuits end up with a different opinion, then it's very, very likely the Supreme Court would take the case. But really, we're talking years and years and years, most probably. But nonetheless, I think a very interesting development, big picture-wise. Anything I got wrong there, Linda, since you're actually American? Yeah, yeah. Also, the 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 appeals court. Well, Oakland is about mm, an hour and fifteen minutes away from me if, with traffic. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. This is right in my backyard. No, you've got it absolutely correct, and I'm I'm in agreement with you. Um, I would just add that the I, I believe the court it would go to the appeals court it would go to would be Ninth Circuit, which is up in San Francisco, which is also about an hour from me, <laughs> and uh, for whatever that's worth, and. Um, so in that court, my guess based on the makeup of that court is, is that this would be a, this that they would agree with this ruling. Right. So then takes yeah. us up towards Supreme Court where there are other circuits who've come to the opposite conclusion. So that would right. then set it up for a Supreme Court case. Wait yeah, or other appeal courts. Right. The next one we need to catch up on is Apple v. Qualcomm. Um, this is this is the new Apple v. Samsung. So uh, last time we recorded, there was just breaking news that um, Apple had lost a preliminary, uh, basically they had a preliminary injunction put on them. So the, it's not a final ruling, but there's a preliminary injunction banning the sale of iPhone 7 and iPhone 8 in Germany. Um, but Qualcomm had more patent cases in Germany than just the ones that resulted in that preliminary injunction. Uh, and they lost those. Um, so the four other patents were thrown out by the same court this month. Um, interestingly, those four that were thrown out in Germany are the same patents that were upheld in China, resulting in the issues Apple had in China last month, which we also talked about on the last show. So we're now in a situation where the German court has found the patents that is ca- are causing Apple so much trouble in China to be invalid. Uh, and we still are awaiting a final ruling on the patents that resulted in the temporary injunction on the iPhone 7 and 8. So there is more news to come out of Germany, but it's interesting that the four search-related patents were thrown out in Germany. Um, also going on at the same time, um, well, or rather this month, is a court case in the United States involving Qualcomm being sued by the Federal Trade Commission. And this is in front of a judge whose name is familiar to us from the previous never-ending case. Judge Lucy Coe was one of the judges involved in the one of the Apple v. Samsung trials. She may even have done both. Um, her name certainly re- burned into my memory. Yeah. Um, now, I don't quite understand what's going on here. I know that they made oral arguments this month and that this is a very important case and everyone's sort of waiting on the decision and something that was reported is that Judge Coe warned that she would take longer than usual to come to a decision because of how important this case is. So that makes me think I need to know more about this. And thankfully, Linda, this is your area of expertise in some ways, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know about my expertise, but but it's, it's something I know a little bit about. <laughs> yeah, area of interest. Yeah. Um, 
So my understanding, and, and I'm, I may miss a detail here, one or two, so if the listeners have any input, please pass that along to us. But um, the FTC, uh, Federal Trade Commission, has the right to really put a huge cramp in Qualcomm's way of doing business. Their way of doing business is through a licensing model. Um, and I won't, I, I know a few details, but I won't get into that. But um, it is unusual. The question is, is their way of doing business anti-competitive? And they're arguing, no, it's not. Apple is arguing, yes, it is. Uh, Apple, uh, so, so I mean, that's the, the, in, ter- in terms of Apple and Qualcomm. And but the FTC, go ahead. Is, this go ahead, is Bart. the case that sort of kicked off the bad blood between Apple and Qualcomm, isn't it? It's this dispute over the licensing. It, well, yeah, that's the issue. Yeah, I'm not sure it's. No, it's not I, the case. I, actually, I, the FTC brought this case, so it couldn't be the one that correct. kicked it off. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, correct. I, I and I don't know the exact sequence. I don't know whether the FTC brought theirs first or Apple. Compl- Apple may have complained to the FTC. That's highly likely. That right. is that's normal procedure. But other companies could also have complained because. App, although Apple is the, the the big guy in the room who's complaining against Qualcomm now, uh, other companies have also in the past complained about them. And could competitors um, complain? Like, could it be? Could Intel have complained, or is it only customers sure. that have to complain? No, any anybody can you know go to the FTC and say, I don't think that's right. This is right. You should investigate this. Now, okay. how much? If I did that as an individual, it wouldn't have much impact sure, sure. more than likely, right? But, but you have the right, Apple, and they have the right, right to ignore exactly. you. Exactly. Yes, yes. They also have the right to say, oh, you've got a good point. Not likely to happen. But sure. um, so, so yes, Intel can complain. Apple can complain. And um, and lots of companies have in the past complained. I mean, other other uh, manufacturers, for, for that matter, uh, Huawei or whomever, uh, Xiaomi, whomever makes phones that uses their chips could complain, even if they were uh, not in the U.S., not based in the U.S. But they'd have to have so, a U.S. office to have standing, wouldn't they? But I guess it doesn't have a U.S. office in this day and age. Yeah, and I'm, I'm virtually. I know Huawei has buildings around here in Silicon Valley. So, so um, yeah, and certainly Samsung does. That they're down the street from me. So, so yeah, and Samsung would be another, another possible complainant. But um, in any case, because the FTC has so much power. Um, this is significant. the 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 question, and I think the reason that uh, the judge is saying she would take could take her longer than usual, is I don't think there is precedent for this kind of model to be deemed anti competitive. So the licensing model that they use right. in ter- to for getting their income. So she's so being asked to make law here. In effect, yes, yes. So so it, it, yeah. So it's 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 tricky. And uh, and fascinating, really. I mean, I could dig in further if I had the time. Well, I, I think that when the ruling comes out is when we need to dig in further, because then we'll really know what we're talking about. So for now, I think the important thing is to put a pin in this, because this is kind of the, the hinge on which the Apple v. Qualcomm thing is going to revolve, isn't it? Yes, it will have a huge impact. If 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 the FTC finds against Qualcomm, it will have a huge impact. Actually, if they don't, it Apple still could win. But yeah, um, the other thing is, of course, it will. You can guarantee it will be appealed because there's a lot right. of money involved. If their business model were were deemed uh, to be anti-competitive, now this do we do we know what court this is in? Is this already at the circuit level, or is this still down at the district level? Uh, I should know that, but I don't. And I didn't. I didn't catch it in the Apple Insider story I linked either, or I would have put it in. Um, 
Because I like. Yeah, I think it, I think it's at the first. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I so, guess I say when Judge Cole rules, that. we will. We will see where we go. Now, the next story I know is at the circuit level because I put it in my show notes. <laughs> a case that has been bouncing around for years is is basically Apple defending itself against patent claims from a company called VernetX over FaceTime. Um, this is a company which has been described by many people as a as a patent troll. They certainly fit the bill of a non-practicing entity. I believe that's the PC way of saying patent troll. They have one source of revenue, which is suing people over patents. Uh and they won against Apple. Um, and Apple appealed to the Federal Circuit. And Apple have now lost that appeal in the Federal Circuit. And in the process, the amount of money they owe VernetX has gone up. So it now stands at $440 million. Um, and Apple says it will appeal, which, if my understanding of American legal system is correct, means that they're hoping the Supreme Court will take their case because I don't see where else they could appeal to. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so That we- sounds right. Another one to watch. Now, well, for, for Apple, that's pocket change, I guess. But still, I, I don't think they want to have to pay license, licensing fees on FaceTime. They'd also wouldn't want to set the precedent. Yeah, that's always yeah. And yeah, they just don't. They just don't want to rely on anyone else, do they? Apple. I mean, <laughs> they like to avoid the that. The yeah, that is yeah. very much their character, as we'll see in some stories later on. Um, Apple have settled a lawsuit with biometric uh, sensor company Valencell. These were the guys who had complained about some of the technology in the Apple Watch. So Apple have settled that. We don't know the details. Uh, in Korea, meanwhile, their FTC has found Apple guilty of unfair practices in its dealing with the carriers in Korea. Um, but they're going to give Apple the right to respond, which seems to be a very different court system than what we have here. So rather than saying you must appeal, they're saying you have a right to respond to my preliminary judgment. And Apple have handed in the response, and now we're waiting to see on how the response is going to be treated. So that's another one to stick a pin in and watch out for. Uh, next up, I have some notable numbers. Um, so Localytics um, have shown a sharp rise in iPad and iPhone ten uh, or activations over the Christmas period compared to normal activation rates. So this is a really interesting statistic that these guys do. Uh, they're not measuring what happened this Christmas compared to last Christmas or anything like that. What they're measuring is the change in what happens over the Christmas period compared to a similar amount of time at another time of the year. So how does the Christmas sales compare to regular sales in America? And what they have found is that over the Christmas weeks, the iPads sales went up 219%. That's the regular iPad. The iPad Pro went up by 125%. Uh, the Sorry, the smaller iPad Pro, the 11-inch, and the bigger iPad Pro went up by 99%. Uh, the iPad Mini went up by 108%, and the iPhone XR went up by 88%. So the things that bump during this time of the year are the things that get given as gifts. So it would appear to be that the iPad is an extremely popular holiday gift. And the, the strange thing is my last two iPads have been gifts to myself at Christmas time. So I clearly am responsible. In fact, I am one of, well, if I was in America, I would be one of the numbers here because this Christmas I gifted myself a very, very shiny iPad Pro, the big one, with a pencil. I was, I'm excruciatingly pleased with it. Very um, good. So it's interesting that the iPhone XR is doing well in these statistics. And to me, that seems to be the perfect phone if you're going to gift an iPhone. I think the XR is the one to gift really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
That makes sense. Um, qu- question for you on this story, though. You, mm. I didn't see anything in there that said the U.S., but you did evidently because you. I that reread it a few times, and I thought it was U.S. sales. I thought they were only okay. looking at the U.S. market. If I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But I did. No, do my that's best fine. I, to read no, I went. I was looking for it and didn't see it, but I was also moving quickly, so. I had to do a lot of reading of that article to figure out what the hell they were doing because it's a very unusual metric and they didn't just say it all in one paragraph. They split their description over two paragraphs with a whole bunch of stuff in between. It it took me a little while to get it figured out. But anyway, it's interesting whether it be just in the US or whether it be worldwide. Either way, the, the fact that the iPad, which is not really been the source of much good news in earnings calls, the fact that the iPad is the one that bumped the most caught my eye. Yeah. And it is the cheaper one that's really yes. selling yes yeah, so yeah. the the ipad without suffix <laughs> the ipad full stop <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to call it which in fairness is an extremely competitively priced tablet these days like you know for a non-cheapo poopy tablet like it, it is very yeah. competitively priced uh the other thing that caught my eye uh just as a statistic people should bear in mind is that while apple don't assemble things in the United States with the exception of the horrifically out-of-date Mac Pro, that does not mean that the American economy is not benefiting massively from the stuff Apple makes physically. In fact, we can put a number on that. Apple in 2018 had 9,000 approximately US suppliers to which it gave 60 billion with a B dollars. So yes... It gets assembled in China. But no, that does not mean that the profit is all Chinese. And it's the fact that there's so many US suppliers involved that make tariffs and stuff so tricky because you have stuff being made in the US being shipped to China to be assembled into iPhones shipped back to the US, which means lots of border crossings and things. And that's not that's the kind of thing you want free trade for, not tariffs. <laughs> Ah, oh, sigh. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. I agree. You know, I mean, I didn't really think anyone in this panel would disagree, but I just thought, regardless of how you feel about tariffs, the bottom line is $60 billion to 9,000 US suppliers, even though Apple, quote unquote, don't make anything in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Apple also announced, this is after uh, what we will talk about in a little bit, their letter. So the day after they wrote a letter to investors with what we can best describe as bad news, they then released a press statement the next day saying, record-breaking holiday season for the App Store. And in fairness, they are impressive numbers, so I thought we'd, we'd call them out here. Um, so best holiday season ever for the App Store, and that is, in terms of raw dollar amounts, $1.22 billion in revenue. And their one-day record is now, the one they made this year on New Year's Day, $322 million worth of revenue in one day day on new year's day 2019 that is no uh, small uh, store that's right and it's almost uh, i mean i know it's not nothing is happening but effectively no one's at work yeah <laughs> at apple anyway still, yeah. right yeah <laughs> yes yeah it's, it's kind of impressive uh, before we stick into the main stories, just a, a few little developments in apple's staffing to talk about apple have hired sandy parakilas i hope is how he says his name vaguely um, interesting person, a former Facebook employee who was tasked with monitoring developer compliance within Facebook. Uh, in so doing, he noticed that there was quite a lack of said compliance 
and tried to raise that within the company and basically found that no one gave a poop and so he left. Uh, he was then called to testify in front of a committee of the UK Parliament where he um, explained this fact uh, and basically criticised Facebook to the UK Parliament for their not giving a poop about non-compliance with their developers. And this, of course, involves Cambridge Analytica. So that's an interesting hire by Apple, without a shadow of a doubt. Another mm. interesting hire, um, calling back to your point, Nick, about Apple not liking to depend on other people. Apple have hired Suno Ann, a former executive with Samsung's battery division. Now, they haven't said why and they haven't said what uh, what they are going to be doing at Apple. But of course, everyone is assuming that what is coming along here is Apple doing what they did with chips and starting to build their own batteries. We shall see. Uh, I, you know, I read that completely differently because in my text, I don't know whether you fixed this, uh, it says Samsung's batter division. Yeah, that's the one typo I fixed that uh, right. to me. <laughs> I rather like the sound of Samsung's batter division. Now, is that fish, fish and chips department? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to bite into some nice fluffy, you know, well, sort of fluffy, crispy beer batter and bite into a Samsung phone. <laughs> Lithium batteries, yes. No, yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> no, no. So something else that made the news is that the Siri team continues to be shaken up. Um, so Apple recently hired John Giandrea uh, to basically, well, maybe come in and clean houses, putting it too strongly, but certainly to come in and do a little bit of a reorg uh, in the uh, Siri division. And that is he's continuing to change staffing in there, which is probably a good thing. Uh, and then probably less of a good thing, although it's kind of impossible to tell from the outside, but uh, there were reports that Apple had laid off, was how the reports came out, 200 people from Project Titan. Um, Apple released a statement, which is very unusual, and an Apple statement, when I read Apple's statement, what I hear is reassigned to different projects within Apple, which to me doesn't count as a layoff, it's just a reorg. Right. You know? Right. I question that, too, because it's I mean, there's a lot of competition in this valley for engineering talent. And now it's it's possible that some of the engineers have uh, expertise that's so specific mm. that they might not be able to serve someplace else inside of Apple. But um, in generally speaking, Apple laying off engineers is I'm very skeptical. It's of that 200 report, engineers. That, that seems. Yeah. yeah. Well, some of them definitely were reassigned because Apple's said so. statement pretty much said that, right? So uh, what the actual number is that may have left the company, who knows? But, yeah. What it, what it might mean is that Project Titan is actually taking a slightly different route, which doesn't need as many people. Or right. different people. Or exactly. different people, yeah, possibly. Different expertise, right. You just you don't know. Yeah. The other thing that we, we know is that in an all-hands meeting after the bit of bad news we're about to talk about, Apple told staff that they are cutting back on hiring. Yeah, so there will be less people to talk about, I guess, in this section of the show in the coming mm-hmm. while. So with that, let us move into the main stories and let's get out of the way the, the big one. Um, Apple's Q1 earnings started making news well before their earnings call on the 29th started making news, I believe it was the 2nd of January. It was when Apple released a letter from Tim Cook to Apple developers where they revised their guidance. So, you know, the, the, one of the things you get in an earnings call is here's what happened last quarter. 
And the other thing you get is, and here's what we think will be the case at the end of the current quarter. So it's their guidance. And I presume under Federal Trade Commission regulations, if you guide a certain amount and then it becomes darn obvious to you that your guidance will not pan out, I believe you have a duty to tell your shareholders as soon as you can. I'm actually not sure that that's in law. But what happens from a from a market perspective is that if a, if a company doesn't warn and then misses badly and they and the lingo that's used in the marketplace is is if a company comes out and says we're not going to make our guidance after all, which is what Apple did, mm. that they call that the, the company warned, you know, yeah. so they're they're warning that yeah. Um, but if a company just doesn't say anything and then misses badly, the stock gets hit really, really, really hard. Understandably, um, I would say. If, if yeah. I was an investor and you surprised me out of the blue by you know giving your best guess, then not updating that guess and then coming in and telling me, you were, oh, we were so wrong about that. Don't mind us. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. To the downside, then it's, then it's, it's huge. Yeah. And in general, um, uh, it's not all that often that a company does come out and warn when it does, um, and especially a company like Apple, because Apple is so significant, but uh, in terms of how big it is in the market, um, uh, when they do come out and warn, it really gets everybody's attention. It's on all the financial news and sometimes in the, in the uh, mainstream news as well. And in this case, it's also a PR management, right? Because by getting half of the crankiness out of the way, it means that the stock can adjust itself and the expectations of investors on the day of the actual earnings call are going to be much more in line with what will be the reality. You get to spread your bad news over two days instead of one day and you probably get to to have the markets recover a bit before the earnings call. Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot. That's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So. So just to say, Apple had guided between 89 and $93 billion of expected revenue, which was already below what the street had been hoping for. And they revised that guidance to $84 billion. Now, that's obviously not a sum to be sneezed at, but that is nonetheless $5 billion less than the bottom of their guidance. Uh, Tim Cook didn't just say, and here's the new number, and then full stop, end of letter. His letter continued for quite some time. Uh, and um, what's interesting is that he, 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 he laid out four explanations for why their estimate was wrong. So he basically said that, we, we always knew this was going to be a hard compare, which is why our guidance was already low. So we knew that the timing of products was different in 2018 compared to 2017. So that was always going to be a tough year on year comparison. But we take an account of that. Uh, the US dollar is very strong, which makes it more expensive to buy apples in foreign markets. Um, I certainly feel that here in Europe. And they had also taken account of that. Uh, they say that there were some supply constraints because they had a lot of new products at the same time. And then they were expecting there to be a slowdown in emerging markets, i.e. China. Uh, but basically, Tim Cook's reason or his explanation for the miss is we really didn't think the brakes would go on quite so hard in China. This really caught us by surprise. Uh, he also said that, uh, so China was a big deal. Um, and it's interesting, there was a, another statistic sort of crossed my RSS feed at the same time which was a story from Reuters um, reporting on some research by something which sounds academic, the China Academy of Information and Communications Technology. Uh, but it's actually a government body, part of the communications office of the Chinese government. Um, anyway, uh, they reported that Chinese iPhone shipments, so as in iPhone shipments in the Chinese domestic market, are down 
between 12 and 15.5%. So that is a lot fewer phones being shipped for purchase within China. So this is not shipments of stuff made in China to the rest of the world. This is stuff to be bought in China down between 12 and 15.5%. So that gives you some idea why Apple's sales might be lower in China. And the other thing that Tim Cook threw into the mix is that iPhone sales are, or iPhone demand is, is slower than expected generally. And he blamed that on there being ever fewer carrier subsidies, which is a true statement in much of the Western world. And then he threw in a complete clangor and said it was because of cheaper battery replacements. And that, to me, seems like an excruciatingly stupid thing to say. (laughs) The whole point is that Battery Gate wasn't a scandal because Apple wasn't trying to sell new phones. And so Tim Cook says, oh, yeah, and that really cost us a lot of new phones. It's like, well, way to undermine yourself, you bloody idiot. From a PR standpoint, yeah. Yeah, but if it's fact... That's true. He has to be honest and factual, but he, he doesn't have to yeah. say everything, right? He can say nothing or he can say the yeah, truth. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. I mean, he could have said nothing, but the, he he was asked about that though on he? a previous yeah on a previous conference call. I believe last uh, the the previous conference call, someone asked, "Are the battery replacements going to make an impact?" And at that time, he kind of went, "No, nah, I don't think so." <laughs> so oh, then now, he didn't have to correct himself, I guess, or yeah, he certainly I, could feel under an obligation to correct himself. Yeah, yeah, more the latter, I think, yeah, that he would have that up, feel that obligation, yeah. Now, obviously, you don't only issue a letter and say, you know, the sky is falling, it's all terrible. Tim spent much of the letter um, pointing out that while there was obviously some cloud, there were also plenty of silver linings to go around. So, again, now this letter is a month before the actual earnings call. So Apple are being quite open here when they say things like the install base grew by 100 million in the past 12 months to a new all-time high. And I'm just going to sneak ahead here so we don't have to talk about it again later. But in the actual earnings call, we got the actual number. Apple's current install base is 1.4 billion. That is a lot of devices you can sell services to. Hmm. If you take the iPhone out, Apple said in this letter at the start of January that their revenues are up 19% with all-time records for services, wearables, and the Mac, which is interesting. So obviously those new Mac minis um, are doing quite well along with the, what else did they fix then? Oh yeah, the, the MacBook Air. Yeah, actually no, Mac it's got to be the Air. Forget They're really pretty. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They also said that services set new records in every geographic region, and they said that wearables grew 50% year on year. Of course, it's a bit of fun with numbers without numbers here. 50% of what? From two watches to to three watches? Or (laughs) anyway. Uh, So I also noticed in my news feed that Samsung Electronics uh, says that weak chip demand uh, sent fourth quarter profits well below market estimates. So they are also warning. So it's not just Apple. Right. No, go on, Nick. No, I was just going to make a comment about the whole thing, really. Yes, Uh, please do. uh, Because I seem to remember not that long ago, we talked about the fact that... um, Apple were um, bolstering their iPhone sales with their move into China, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and that they would actually probably depend quite heavily on that to to keep their iPhone sales up. Yep, um, <laughs> it turns out. No. And all that's <laughs> happening is that it's adjusting, <laughs> and and we're um, and it's actually starting to come back down again. You'd expect it. To. Yeah. So. 
uh, it's just my observation that uh, mm-hmm. even though it seemed to be big shock horror horror that actually we should have expected expected this to come at some point and it just happens to be now yeah i mean does it go ahead well there's a question about uh what the what's causing the uh percentage to go down um the general scuttlebutt in the market is that this is because China's growth rate per se is coming down, not that Apple as a company. So, so yeah. yeah. So, so if, if in fact they're having, uh, and they're nowhere near a recession, but if their growth rate comes down and then goes back up a few years later, because the economy improves, which happens to to countries all the time, then the percentage could go back up again. So this could be a temporary thing, or it could be more permanent. It, it's not necessarily due to as a uh, market penetration, as they say, to how many, you know, to market saturation. Mm-hmm. It could be just their economy, if that if, if that helps. Indeed, just- and I mean, we call them emerging markets, don't we? So it's just that the market is emerging a little more slowly. <laughs> Or in this yeah, case, possibly. when growth slows down, it's even that it's 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 still emerging. It's just not emerging as quickly as we thought. Yes. Yeah. Although in this case, we still have that number from the China Academy of Information and Communications Technology saying that the whole smartphone market is down twelve to fifteen point five percent. So that's quite the headwind to be walking into as Apple, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we did get the actual results on the twenty ninth of January. Um, Link in show notes to Apple's press release with all of the numbers and stuff. But uh, I picked out a few highlights. And uh, Linda, if I've missed any highlights that I should have picked out, do please interrupt me to add them in. Um, okay. So we got the final revenue number, which is $84.3 billion. So that's 0.3 above what they guided on in that letter on the first of January or the 2nd of January. That's down 5% year on year, which is not horrific. It's obviously the wrong direction, but it's well, huge, right? Yeah, okay. It's revenue. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. It's it. It's not horrific. Yeah. Okay. Go go ahead. Just yeah. I was going to say cause, yeah because the revenue is is only part of the equation, right? Revenue is money in. Revenue well, isn't profit out. True, but revenue revenue is huge. Think about revenue as as the amount. Um, it's potential. It, 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 well, it's also uh, think about it. If you're a, uh, an employee, all of a sudden your paycheck goes down instead of going up. So, I mean, in other words, that's money coming in. That's the amount of money you have coming in. Think, mm. you know, so it's so fuel if, for if, the engine. Exactly. So it's it's a it's an incredibly important number. When so when the company is going down in revenue, if it if the, if it happens numerous times, then they think, oh, the company itself is you know, the future is not good for that company. Because they don't have the power to change things. Yeah, they don't have the power. Yeah. Now, if it's it's a a one quarter thing and or, or, you know, even a two quarter thing, and then it's reversed because Apple releases a new gizmo that overtakes the world, you know, and it's selling like hotcakes, then yeah. When you have lots of cash on hand, like Apple do, 5% for eight quarters is is a big pile of nothing. But 5% for six quarters in a row, not a big pile of nothing. Yeah, then you then then that's a problem. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. You go ahead. Okay, so five percent down on revenue in general, but the the the, the glut of that was from the iPhone. So iPhone revenues were down fifteen percent. Everything else was actually up. So services revenue were up by nineteen percent to ten point nine billion dollars. Uh, earnings per share were up seven point five percent to four dollars and eighteen cents. So 
I guess from an investor point of view, surely the fact that they were actually able to make more profit is still a good thing. Even though they had there, less petrol coming in, they managed to make it go faster. Yeah, there's some, um, I'm just looking askance at that earnings per share. Because mm-hmm. remember, Apple is buying back shares like crazy. Right, so there's and less so, shares to divide it between. Gotcha. Exactly. So so some people go, yeah, but, you know, so it depends but, on, Yeah. you can look at it, the glass half full or half empty there. Yeah, that's a good point. Were they bought back 7.5% of their shares? That sounds right. I would have to look to see. I actually don't know that number off the top of my head, how many, but they've bought back quite a lot. And of, and of, the, of their entire program, um, their entire, you know, returning cash to shareholders, most, some of that is going into dividends, but that percentage is like 10, sure. 20%. Most of it is going into buying back shares. So they're doing quite a lot of that. Which I, the next bullet point I have is $13 billion spent on uh, buying back shares. Basically, two, they call it <laughs> yeah. you know, money to investors. And like you say, dividends and share buybacks. But you're saying lots right. of share buybacks. Right. Uh, active install base we just talked about. And Apple Music subscribers hit 50 million over the holidays, which is a pretty darn impressive number for a market they're all quite recent to. Mm. So, what do anything there I should have said but didn't? Or no, I think I I think that pretty much covers it. Um, I listened to the conference call; it wasn't that bad. And I think what's important in terms of of market reaction, uh, the stock has actually been up since the earnings call. Uh, the The stock was up. Uh, I'm trying to remember the percentage, but it may have been roughly five percent even in after hours after the conference call. So investors seem to be reassured. And it's closed. I think for the warning, it went down to roughly 148 a share, 149. Mm. And it's now uh, closed Friday at about 165 thereabouts. So, so it's, okay. you know, it's coming back. So it's that the reaction is what matters really. Right. Um, and how is there guidance for the next for the, for the quarter we're now in? You know, again, I don't, I, I, I didn't write down the precise numbers, but it was well received. Right, yeah, so that's what I was hoping not, to get from you. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. really care about the numbers. What I care about is, is, is how I should think of them. And that's okay. So you're saying it was well received, which Correct. explains the share. Correct. Price. Correct. I think, I, I do think that longer term, uh, there's concern about China. And by the yeah. way, even when Apple warned, the market reaction was it's the, the issue is with China and not with um, you know China's economy, just to be clear, <laughs> and, yes. and and not with Apple as a company. Um, yeah. Nonetheless, if if uh, an investor is evaluating this, if somebody's a, a, a totally impartial investor, which doesn't exist, but if a person were, they might look at it and go, okay, how much is Apple uh, relying on China, and how long is it going to be before China recovers, or is China going to be in a long a long period. I mean, uh, Japan went through a long period where their economy was just not all that good. And it's actually, they're still recovering. And that's been 10 or 20 years. I was going to say, it used to be called the lost decade, but at this stage, we need to give it a new name. Yeah. Yeah. So, so decades. So, um, uh, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, and those, those, the trade difficulties, shall we say, between America uh, and China. Does that, like, how, how are investors, how do you even begin to estimate that in? Do, do you just sort of have to have a guess as, as to who will blink first? Or how do you, how do you, like, it's a bit like Brexit, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. Yes. 
<laughs> in the sense that you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, and, and it does have, it, it, there's a real question as to what, okay, so China's economy is going down. Is 10% of that due to the trade war? 5%, 2%, 30%. Right. I'm not sure from that, from what I hear. And I, I just, most of my uh, financial tracking these days is done by listening to Bloomberg. Um, and, and, and I hear different analysts with different opinions and people are, are, um, they, they um, tiptoe around the topic rather than taking it on in a blunt fashion. Most of the time, mm. I think because they don't want to uh, say necessarily bad things about the administration's policies, although some people can be very vocal and very critical. Yeah. So, um, so th- there's a lot of unknowns about the whole, the whole shtick. Uh, it may go away quickly. It would certainly be in, in uh, the president's, political interests to make it go away and and make a deal of some sort um but we'll see yeah and there was this week i, I heard news reports that there, there seems to be progress towards sort of a, a mini deal if nothing else there are at least talks ongoing talks i think there was visits between china's vice president uh, vice premier and the president of the united states and talks about uh, uh meetings between the two presidents so progressish yeah yeah good noises yeah. yes yes can't quite say that about what's going on with our next door neighbors here <laughs> oh keep your fingers crossed well it's pretty much every morning on the news it's ministers being asked so what are we doing to prepare for the complete chaos that may or may not be just around the corner and you're just right like, the amount of money we are sinking into preparing for something we don't know if it's ever going to happen or how it's going to happen or what it's going to do and the amount yeah. of corporations who are basically trying to figure out you know we have money do we invest right. in an office in dublin or in london yeah or in Frankfurt. Or in Frankfurt. Yeah. Or, yeah. What do we do? You know, so it, it's very, yeah. it, 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 I would not like to be sitting in those boardrooms. It's sometimes it's, it's nice not, to be yeah. a techie. It's a good way to get rid of the, or to damage your own economy. But okay, enough said. I guess. Um, <laughs> did you, did you want me to address, you said that there was a question yes. from a listener. Do you want me to fit that in here? Because I think it fits. Um, and, yes, and the, please. The question, so I, I had, yeah. a, I had a, a, a listener and panelist actually um, say, I can't be on the show this month, but if Linda's on, I really want to know why we're so obsessed with growth. And so do I. Right. So the question is, why is the stock market quote, obsessed with uh, growth? Why, why is there so much interest in growth? And the first thing I, I would say is to quote uh, an old Bob Dylan song, uh, he who is not, is not busy being born is busy dying. So, and then I, the, the other thing I was doing is making an analogy with a person who is in a corporation, person who is an employee in a corporation. That person wants to be getting raises every year and they want their uh, their boss to say to them, yes, your your performance is very good. And even more, we appreciate your talent so much that we're going to uh, promote you into this other position and see how you do there. And then hopefully you do well there and your career takes off and you make more money. You provide better for your family. Um, your lifestyle goes up. And and so you are if you make the analogy with a company, it's a growth. You are growing. Mm-hmm. You are developing and doing better. Um, company that is growing is going, has potential to make more money. If you're a young 
person, if you're 20 or 30 years old and you have uh, an MBA or um, a, a master's degree or a PhD in computer science with some special expertise, you are going to get a better paycheck than the person who dropped out of high school uh, or the person who, who never got uh, a two-year degree or a four-year degree who has, doesn't have the expertise. So you want growth. That's, that's what growth is. Um, growth is measured uh, in the market, generally speaking, by uh, PE number, which is I'm not don't want to explain what that is, but it's price to earnings ratio. And those companies that are growing are seen as having more potential for making more money over the long term, and so they are given a higher number. So does that? And then my question was, does that help? Does that make sense? I presume inflate does inflation factor into this at all? The fact that most Countries on average are inflating by 2% a year. So if you're not growing by 2% a year, you're actually shrinking by 2% a year? Sure. Or is that not related? No, sure, it's related. Sure, it absolutely is related. Inflation, you know, over the years that you know, people have been tracking inflation forever, if you if you were living in Venezuela where the uh, inflation rate now is like one, a million percent or something yeah. like that, astronomical, that makes no sense whatsoever, if you had... A co- if you had investments in a company that was growing at, at that kind of rate, and I know of no such investment, I if I did, that would a be a very rich woman. <laughs> but uh, but if that were possible, then you could at least keep up and stay in your home com- home country, right? So so yes, absolutely, inflation matters. But in ge- in general, I think it's it's you want to be above the inflation level, but you want to grow. Two percent is a tiny amount, historically speaking. Mm. So. Um, yeah. I think that's the long run average, right? Because recessions are when when uh, growth, when recession stuff tends to uh, you have deflation and stuff sometimes. So on average, if you have inflation at two percent, well, historically speaking, so in the nineteen eighties, for instance, the inflation rate was something in the U.S. The inflation rate was closer to eleven percent or thirteen percent, and then it was runaway inflation. Yeah, so which is not so good. which is not good. This is this is better, although a lot of people would like. A higher, they would like it more around three or four percent. A lot of economists would hold that view. Okay. So, do you know it? Uh, it reminds me. Um, it takes me back actually, because the the question is very similar to what my father always used to say. And he said, "I can't understand these big corporations." He said, "A penny profit is a penny profit. Why do they have to make more profit?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A wage is a wage. Why do you need to make more wages? (laughs) Yes. Let let me toss in one more bit of information that might help people. Um, The other thing that happens is that, uh, again, using that PE ratio number as as an indicator of how uh, a company is valued, companies that are service-based, and think for a moment here about the current day Microsoft where they're getting a lot of their money from Azure, so their 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 uh, cloud platform. Yeah. Um, so so they're getting a lot of their money there. It's repeating money. It's like like people company in the U.S. and I don't I don't know if it's the same where you know in Europe, but um, where they're pay- every month people are paying a hundred bucks a month. Uh, so it's repeating money. Those companies that are based largely on services. Where it ties into Apple, um, where there's repeating money, repeating reliable money, they get also a higher PE ratio. They are valued more highly. The share price goes. 
right? Because it's very reliable money. So yeah. that's part of what's going on with Apple is Apple is emphasizing, look at how our services area is growing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Now, it's in the, the service area growing is something I very quickly want to touch on as well, because that sounds great from an investor point of view. But from a customer point of view, that means that Apple are getting more money out of me that's not me buying their hardware. It means it's, you know, they're pumping money out of me in other ways. Now, I happen to like the services they offer, and if they're offering good stuff, I guess that's okay. But it's not all, you know, it doesn't make me amazingly happy. Ooh, Apple are succeeding in getting more money out of me. Right. Uh, presumably, I mean, we we hope, and especially with Apple, we hope if they are getting more money out of you or out of us, I should say <laughs> that I, I and you, we are getting more value out of them. We're, we're deeming that it's worth it. We're deeming that paying for Apple music is giving us enough pleasure uh, and is a better deal for us than buying CDs and ripping them or getting our music other ways, for instance. Yeah. So hopefully Okay, um, just folks, I got to apologize. Discord is 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 really acting up here. I don't know if what's going on, but it, it's got a big red warning on the quality, um, and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, so I guess we'll try struggle on as best we can. Um, very annoying. It's generally speaking, Discord has been so much better than Skype, but it's letting us down a bit at the moment. Um, okay, so the second big story I wanted to cover is. Apple had a good CES, despite the fact that Apple were not actually at CES. What we got was a whole bunch of new products getting a HomeKit support from, you know, smart doorbells, all sorts of stuff. And then the one that really sort of is kind of interesting is AirPlay 2 being built into televisions from pretty darn major manufacturers like LG, Samsung, Sony, and Vizio. And even more amazing to me is um, Samsung are getting to build iTunes into some of their smart TVs so you can buy things from Apple's content business through your Samsung TV. And, of course, that's completely setting things up for Apple's video service, which we're all expecting to launch sometime in 2019. Um, And then another interesting development is that TiVo unveiled a demo of an upcoming app for the Apple TV that basically turns an Apple TV into one of their little satellite devices you can buy. So if you have one main TiVo that's actually recording stuff, you can buy like cheap little mini TiVos to stream from the main TiVo to other TVs in the house. Well, you're going to be able to do that from an Apple TV app to reach into your main TiVo and stream the stuff you have recorded there, including not just the stuff you've recorded, but also any um, live media that you have through your TiVo service to your Apple TV. And VLC also announced that they're getting AirPlay support, quote-unquote, soon, which is nice. So I just thought it was really nice that Apple, you know, Apple does, to me, seem to be setting itself up here to be ready to really capitalize on their media, which is definitely under the services umbrella. So. Yeah, I like one of the articles I, I read about it was actually entitled uh, iTunes coming to Samsung smart TVs. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I rather liked. <laughs> and following up from, you know, from last month where we were talking about Apple's, you know, thawing relationships with Amazon, we had Alexa coming to uh, the HomePod. You know, again, it's very similar. This is laying foundations for their services to be able to be 
cross-platform, not just on their own stuff, which is nice. Yes. Um, I'm sure there are a lot, of, uh, quite a lot of people out there who are saying, at last, because, you know, it makes sense, really, if they want to go into that area, that they've got to be in more places than just on Apple stuff. Yeah. Okay, and the third main story I had here is that uh, <laughs> Apple had a little bit of a, um, shall we say, a bug in their recently released group FaceTime feature. So the bug allowed an attacker to remotely able the microphone and in some cases the camera on a victim's device. This is pretty darn bad. So the way this worked, and I use the past tense, which is a good thing, the way this worked is that if you wanted to enable my mic, you would phone me, I say phone, you would initiate a FaceTime call to me, and before I answered it, you would turn that FaceTime call into a FaceTime group call by adding another person to the call. And that other person could actually be anyone, but to save you having to have a third person, the third person can actually be a second copy of yourself. Yes, you could add yourself as a third person to a call with yourself and your victim, and then your victim would forget that the call hadn't been answered yet. So basically, it would go from a one-on-one FaceTime call to a group FaceTime call, and the little bit of code that was supposed to say, has the person answered yet, would get skipped. And when the group call came up, your mic was on. And in some cases, your camera was on too. I never, didn't quite get to the bottom of when that didn't didn't happen because there was lots of conflicting reports on that. But some people definitely say camera was possible in some situations. So it, it's kind of a strange one. And it was discovered by a kid who wanted to play online games with his friends. And he was phoning one of, sorry, FaceTiming one of his friends and they weren't picking up. They also weren't rejecting the call. They were just letting it ring. And he got bored and he decided he'd try add someone else into the conversation too. So rather than what I would have done and hang up and then phone someone else, being a modern child, <laughs> you know, this guy didn't live in the world where phone calls were binary. Uh, so he added someone else to the conversation. And at that point, the first person's mic came on. He's like, whoa, that's not normal. And he was able to repeat it. And he told his mum. And his mum... God bless her, she went absolutely out of her way to raise this issue with Apple through all of the channels she could think of. And frankly, despite her best efforts, didn't really succeed. It was a week later that the story finally made its way into the tech press. And once the story broke, Apple's response was extremely quick. So initially it looked like Apple were really on top of this. And so Apple's response was to turn off the service, which is a pretty darn good response then to fix the bug, and then to issue a software update, and then the service will be re-enabled. So we're now at the stage where Apple say they have the bug fixed, they're just quality checking the software update, and they had initially promised a software update for a few days ago, for the end of the week, so just as the month was turning. Uh, but now they're saying, you know, early early in February, so next week basically as we recorded this, we're expecting it, and then the service will be back and all should be well. And, you know, from my best understanding of what's going on here, I think this is basically a missing if statement. You know, if the call has not yet been accepted, don't enable the microphone. I think it really is that simple. Um, so this raises a couple of questions. The first thing is Apple issued an actual apology. They were very upfront about it and they dealt with it pretty promptly when it finally reached the right people within Apple. The issue is it was hard for someone with the best will in the world to get heard by the right people within Apple. 
Mm. And it's reassuring that in Apple's apology, they also promised to improve their bug reporting <laughs> process. Because that is vital, I think. That's your, your yeah, teachable moment good. here, is that it needs to be easier for someone who, with the best will in the world, is trying to tell you you have a massive problem to succeed in telling you you have a massive problem. Right. Right. Is yeah, there much more is, we need to say about this? I, I would just, it, it's huge. It's its really significant. And um, I think Apple gets that. And yeah, they, yeah. And they're working on fixing it. Yeah. And I think the key point I want to underline is this is not by design. This is a bug. The oh. next story is horribly abusive of people's privacy by design. And that is, to me, still a fundamentally different thing. So the other major thing that happened this month is that Facebook and Google ended up with their enterprise certificates revoked because it turns out they were abusing Apple's enterprise program to send what I will describe as spying apps to users to basically allow them to gather analytics, to basically allow them to spy on what users do. So there's a lot of context I want to put in place here for people who don't quite understand what happened here. So normally, if I want to give an app to you, I would get a developer account, I would write the app, I would publish it in the App Store, and then you would go to the App Store and then download or buy the app, depending on whether I make it a free app or not. And that works very well for publishing apps. But within the corporate world, there are many, many internal apps. They are apps that are not designed to be used by customers. They're designed to be used by staff, by employees of the company who writes the app. They're internal apps. So to support that, Apple have an enterprise program. There's also an, an education one, and there's also there's also programs developers can use to send beta copies of software to people around the App Store. But the way this works is you sign up with Apple for an enterprise agreement, and they give you a certificate, which you use to sign your internal apps, and then those apps can be distributed to iPhones, and those iPhones will see them as valid apps because they will be correctly digitally signed, but with the enterprise cert instead of with the regular App Store certs or the beta certs developers might use. Now, the rules for the enterprise program are pretty clear. It's for internal apps. It explicitly says you're not to give it to your customers. Explicitly says that in the rules. So Facebook and Google were both writing apps and giving it to users. So immediately they broke in the terms. But they weren't just writing any old apps. In Facebook's case, they were, they were distributing a special version of their VPN app, which was installing a provisioning profile into the... I would go so far as to call them victims, but that's probably, that's that's me being highly opinionated, not factual. Um, and this included a root certificate, which meant that, so because it was a VPN, Facebook could see all of your traffic. And because Facebook installed their own root certificate, Facebook could decrypt all encrypted traffic. <laughs> so they really could see everything. So that's an absolute, absolute man in the middle. They also, because it was a provisioning profile, had access to an, a lot of information about how the phone was being used, like what apps are installed, because these are the same APIs that are designed to be used for device management, for MDM, mobile device management software. So they really had deep access into these people's phones. Now, the fact that they had this access doesn't mean they were recording everything they hypothetically could record. But nonetheless, this is the level of access they had into people's phones. And they were one bug away from leaking that level of access to an attacker, remember. So it is inherently dangerous to give a corporation that level of access. 
Now, Facebook also put an NDA on this, so the people who signed up for this program were not allowed to talk about it, and then Facebook went and said, no, no, we weren't keeping it a secret. We just had an NDA that made it a secret. Um, When people signed up, they didn't know it was Facebook, but at the point of the download, they were then told, oh, yeah, what you had agreed to is a Facebook app, and you can back out now if you like. So Facebook are spitting that as we weren't hiding ourselves, and uh, the, the, um, the not The Verge, um, TechCrunch, who initially reported the story, were saying, that's secret. They're hiding behind shell companies. Take your pick. Uh, Facebook said, no, we didn't want to bias people up front. And yeah, anyway. Could 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 they have record? Could they have? Um, and and I guess we don't know if they did. But could they have taken? So I, this is, uh, if I had a thirteen-year-old son, mm-hmm. um, and he had signed up for this program, mm-hmm. could they have stored all the secret little messages he was sending to his other? Yes, absolutely. They could have friends. exfiltrated them from the phone because they had basically unfettered access to his phone. But they could still they could have that on uh, hard drives in some sure. data center. I mean, the, yeah. the whole point so, of this app was that it was phoning home with information. So the, the the local app was capturing information, sending it to Facebook HQ so that they could analyze it. Now, they say they weren't collecting. So they initially, they explicitly said that any app in the banking section of the app store was not tracked by their software, but it had the right to track it. They're just saying they didn't save that information. Okay, so what happens, uh, what if someone were a uh, CIA agent or um, FBI or uh, GHQ or... Pick your intelligence agency sure. around the world. Those, if someone like that signed up, they could be sending information on state secrets yes. of some sort. Yeah. And and Facebook could have that recorded in some data. Hypothetically, so. yes. Now, Facebook say we were gathering statistics. What we're saving is how long people were using what apps, not what they were doing. And that that may well be true. I mean, I have no reason to doubt the truth. The thing is, the access they but, had allowed them the potential to hoover everything up. What we don't know is basically they digested that data because they couldn't possibly have stored all data from all phones. I mean, that's just a stupid amount of data. So they must have digested it into statistics of some sort. And they say that they were only interested in what apps for how long and that kind of information, not the content. And 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 we should definitely trust what they say, right? But that's the problem. That's the problem, right? How do we trust Facebook? And yeah. Google, well, well, we can't trust them because they broke the rules in the first place. <laughs> right. Now, Google also had an analytics app, which wasn't quite as nefarious. Now, Facebook were targeting, so Facebook were offering people $20 in exchange for this data, which is, it's so much more valuable than $20. And they were, their age limit was 13 and up, which is, I just find that disgusting. Really? Yeah, so Facebook's response was to send an email to staff basically saying, we were right, Apple's wrong, even though technically speaking, Apple is completely right. Um, uh, Google's response was to put their hand up and say, we made a mistake here. We've pulled our app and we were wrong. We apologize, we were wrong. Whereas Facebook's answer is, no, 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 we did nothing wrong whatsoever. Nothing to be ashamed of. Everything we did was completely above board and everyone's going, we don't believe you. Yeah. Bottom line, Apple pulled both enterprise certs meaning that all those companies' internal and beta apps ceased to function on any iPhone or iPad or iOS device of any kind, which is a bit of a disruption, Mm. Um, to put it mildly. Uh, Then they went into a negotiation with the company, and I I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in those conversations. I absolutely, (laughs) absolutely would love to have known what was going on in there. Uh, But then in a very short amount of time, I think it was an order of about a day, maybe two, Apple issued them with fresh certificates because... The way public key certificates work is that 
there is a mechanism for revoking a cert, but I am not aware of any API that is defined in the current PKI, the public key infrastructure, to revoke a revocation. Right. So Apple okay. issued them with clean certs, which meant that they have to now rebuild each and every one of their apps and redistribute the new builds to all of their employees and only their employees. Yeah. So it, even though a lot of people are saying Apple let them off the hook easy, I don't think Apple really had much choice. What they did was highlight just how much power they have should they trance all over the terms of service again or breach contract. In fact, it's stronger than the TOS violation. It's actually a breach of the contract. Hmm. Uh, and I certainly think Facebook and Google suffered enough disruption this week to think twice about doing it again. Hmm. I have a question. Yes, please. One of the articles, and I don't remember which one, but one of the articles that you have listed in the show notes Mm -hmm. uh, specifically says that Facebook's apps with the, you know, with the $20 pay, et cetera, et Mm -hmm. cetera, are still available on Android. But I think that was one of the early articles. Do you know if that's still the case? Are they still doing the same thing on Android phones? I don't know because my news sources aren't focused that way so i don't know i don't know and i see right my guess right is if the mentality of the company is we did nothing wrong we just got we just accidentally snagged ourselves on a technicality they're not seeing a moral issue here at all it's very clear from their communications that they just see that oh oopsie daisies we accidentally broke a rule you know technicality whoops technical foul silly us i don't see why that would make them pull their app out of android if they don't understand that they've done something wrong and it's hard to tell if Google would enforce something like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. From what I know about the Google app, it wasn't as egregious as the Facebook app, but that's a low bar. <laughs> but would Google, would, would Google enforce against Facebook their use of this kind of behavior on Android phones? But Android phone sideloading is allowed. Right. So there's no, so there's no, yeah. There is okay. no equivalent. There is, there is no right. rule that right. says you, you're not allowed to right. distribute okay. an app, not right. through the store. Right. So Thank the, you. Yeah, yeah, there is no equivalent here. So yeah. Yeah. So no, Google, could, Google can't stop them even if they wanted to. Right. Exactly. Oh boy. Yeah. To misquote, to misquote Monty Python, Facebook is a very naughty boy. Indeed. Indeed. They're just like the Messiah. Very naughty boy. He's not the <laughs> Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> Oh, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. If anyone hasn't watched The Life of Brian and doesn't mind a little bit of what is quite, quite, quite clearly pulling the, um, the, the yeah out of religion, it's hilariously funny, but it may be... Yeah, offensive. it is funny. Yeah. And as you know, I'm a Christian, so... Yes, but, <laughs> but you're I think a fundamentalist, funny. Nick, so you have a sense of humour. <laughs> yes. If you don't have a sense of humour about your religion, do not watch Monty Python. Good advice. Good advice. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so the final story I have here is a meta story. It's one of these. The biggest story of our time, as I keep saying, is privacy and encryption and all the battle over that. And so I do think we need to touch base on that before we wrap up this month's show because it's been quite an eventful month in that regard. All of these stories are small individually, but nonetheless, they show a movement. In general, and I think we should we should we should look at them probably because we'll need to talk about them more later. So maybe this is sticking a pin in that stuff. 
Uh, just to follow up on last month's show, we talked about Australia's controversial anti-encryption law. We said that it was almost certainly going to come into effect. It was just a few more legal niceties that needed to be dealt with. Well, those legal niceties were dealt with. The law is now in effect. And now we all wait and see when the Australian government will use this new power against whom and how. Mm. Uh, so we're on tenterhooks on that one. The grey hat security firm Zerodium has upped their prices for many classes of zero-day exploit, including those attacking iOS on the Mac. If you find a remote iOS exploit and you sell it to Zerodium, you can get up to $2 million for that exploit. So what does Zerodium do? They sell vulnerabilities to governments and do not inform the vendor. So they pay developers to hand over zero-day exploits and make them then promise or sign, not just promise, commit themselves legally to not telling anyone else. Uh, and that includes not telling the vendors. So the idea is you end up with unpatched vulnerabilities that governments can then use to spy on people. That is the that is Zerodium's business model. Gosh, so, that sounds as if it ought to be illegal, doesn't it? Yes, but it isn't because they're selling it to governments. Yeah. So it's like being, it's like making guns. Yeah. I mean, it is It is very like making guns, um, which is why I call them grey hat. I'm sure they would insist they were white hat, but I'm not going. Yeah. In my mind, they are not. Yeah. Uh, the other news story then is that Russia succeeded in getting Apple to comply with its 2014 law requiring data on Russian citizens to be stored within the country, which is extremely similar to the recent uh, development of Apple having to store Chinese data on Chinese servers. Uh, GCHQ in Britain, which is their equivalent of the NSA, is uh, proposing, this isn't this isn't happening yet, but this is what they want. Uh, they want to be silently added to encrypted group calls and messages. Uh, and the, th- the annoying thing is that that is technologically possible. Uh, because the way, the, the, the way encrypted end-to-end encryption works is that if I'm in a three-way conversation... Each of us in that conversation have a public key and a private key, and you have my public key. Everyone has everyone's public key, and you only have your own private key. And so if you send a message to a three-person chat, that message actually gets separately encrypted twice, once for each recipient using their public key. Now, if you're using the raw signal protocol, then you have to manage those keys, but you are then guaranteed of their security. But that's not practical. You are not going to manage keys to have an iMessages conversation with someone or a FaceTime messages conversation with someone. So the only way we get end-to-end encryption that is seamless is by trusting Apple to distribute the keys. So that is the weakness. We have to trust the vendor to distribute the keys and only the keys we want. So all Apple would have to do to comply with this request is to add an extra key. So in our hypothetical three-way conversation, a fourth key gets added, but that person doesn't visibly show up within the app, which is, again, entirely doable because Apple's running the software. So Apple could be compelled to do this. This is an extremely clever thing to be wanting, as Mm. clever as it is disturbing. Mm. Again, this is what they want, not what they're necessarily going to get, but stay tuned. That's going to be one hell of a battle that will make the whole uh, iPhone 5 thing uh, around Farouk, what's-his-face, the terrorist asshole. Yeah, yeah. San Bernardino, that's the word that wouldn't come San Bernardino. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned on that one, I think. Interesting. Uh, Thankfully, I get to end this on two more good news stories, because otherwise it'll be very depressed. 
So the Japanese government are investigating ways of applying their privacy laws to international companies. And my initial、um. thought was, oh no, this is another China, another Russia. No, 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 they're wanting to do the opposite. They have protections making it illegal for companies to spy on stuff and end to end encrypted messages they're transmitting. And they want to apply those privacy laws to Apple and other companies too. Now, in Apple's case, that's easy. They already comply with all such laws. But for Facebook, that's quite an interesting thought. So I actually、good. hope, so it's a bit like the GDPR applies to anyone who does business with any European, whether you're in、right. Europe or not. The Japanese government are looking to do something similar. So that's actually a good news story for once. Yeah. And then finally, Tim Cook wrote a very interesting opinion piece in Time magazine calling on two things. One is kind of what we all expected him to call on, which is that the US government introduced privacy rights. So the GDPR gives seven rights. It's quite complicated. Tim Cook's proposal was for four rights, and they were much simpler to express than the GDPR because the GDPR is European bureaucracy. Simple doesn't come into it.、Um, So, you know, these are four rights as called for by, in fact, other lawmakers in the US recently. There were senators proposed legislation and so forth. So it's kind of what everyone expected them to call for. And then he went on to call for something we hadn't seen before, which is that the US government should regulate the data brokers. And these are actually the people that make all the spooky stuff happen. So when you go onto one website and search for a thing, and then the rest of the internet now knows that you're looking for that thing, that's because the data brokers are selling. What happens on one site to people running other sites? That's their job. And so Tim Cook suggests that if they were regulated and people had a right to see and to correct what's going on in those data brokers, that would be a massive improvement for privacy. And he's, he's right about that. And then what surprised me is that one of those massive big data brokers actually said, you know, something actually, a bit of regulation here do the world a good because, and that will put a floor under this stuff and stop the race to the bottom. So if even. The data brokers want regulation, you know it's needed.、Yeah. So, anyway, that catches us up on all of our main stories for the month. And I just want to round out the show quickly with a rundown of some quick stories. Apple launched a new smart battery case for the iPhone XS, XS Max, and XOR. It still has a great big bump. I'm sure people still hate it, but the actual reviews continue to be superb. The thing is functionally excellent. Doesn't attenuate signal in any way and is extremely clever about how it distributes the charge between the phone and the battery pack, depending on basically if you have a really big charger, if you shove your iPhone into your iPad charger, it will rapidly charge both. If you shove your iPhone into a fairly meager charger, one of those teeny weeny tiny ones, it will charge the phone first and then the battery case. It's all very clever, all very well put together. And the UI for managing the battery is very much like the UI we're used to for our AirPods and things like that, which is basically extremely nice. I do like it when companies do clever things to protect your battery. Yes.、Um, yeah. Ages ago, I bought、um, uh, uh, a Dell、um, desktop which, where the screen detaches、uh, okay, with a battery in it. Yeah.、Um, And even though Dell aren't always、um, held up as uh, uh, paragons,、um, this particular machine,、uh, when you start to use it and you put it on its stand, it charges. And it says,、oh, if, if you're going to leave it on its stand for a long time, then do you want me to manage the battery to protect it?、Uh, oh,、yes. good. Yes, please. <laughs> Apple don't bother asking the question. They just... <laughs> no, no, true. Yeah. They just protect your battery, which is, again, the sensible thing to do.、Uh, Apple actually are extremely good at battery management.、Um... Which maybe, maybe that's why they hired the Samsung guy. Maybe it has nothing to do with making the、ah. own. Maybe it's to do about continuing to be really good at managing batteries.、Uh, could be.、Yeah. Or perhaps they do the battery technologies. Who knows? 
I hope they do their own because I have to say their A series processors have proved that Apple are very capable of rolling their own. Mm. Uh, in the apps, they might. No, go on. Just uh, they, they they might be after uh, doing their own batteries, thinking from an ecological point of view. Yes, think you know that would be another another factor and the criteria for Apple that may, might not be so high on the list of other companies. Well, the other thing is ethics, of course, with Cobalt. Right. Right. Because Apple also want to be good on the ethics ground, and it's very, very difficult to source third-party batteries where you know how the cobalt got there. It's difficult enough right. to know where your own cobalt came from, but someone else's cobalt? Very difficult. Yeah. Um, App Store news. A uh, bit of a mixed bag here, starting with the bad news. Netflix have stopped allowing new customers to sign up through iTunes, so you cannot use an iTunes subscription to get Netflix anymore which means Apple loses their 30% cut or their 85% cut from the second year on. And it means that users no longer have that nice level of anonymity that you get when you sign up through Apple. Um, From Apple's point of view, I guess the fact that they're going to continue to get revenue for quite some time is a good thing, but it's really not a good thing for customers either because it makes it harder to sign up to Netflix on your iOS device. On the other hand, swings and roundabouts, um, Office 365 is now available through the Mac App Store, which is extremely nice that all of those Office apps are there now, not just the free ones like Microsoft Teams and stuff. It's now the full suite of Office apps right there in Office 3, in, in the App Store, along with the ability to subscribe to Office 365 through the App Store, which is really quite nice. Cool. We have two interesting deals regarding Apple Music. Apple have struck a deal with American Airlines, allowing Apple Music subscribers to stream music while they're on board the plane without having to buy Wi-Fi access. So this is only for people who already are Apple Music subscribers, but you basically get free music-only internet while you're on uh, American Airlines planes. So basically it turns the cloud service into as if you had all of the music in the world with you on that plane, which sort of gets rid of one of the big arguments people have against cloud services is that yeah but what, what about when we're not on the internet well now if you fly american you're always online so that's a cloud service within a cloud service it really is yeah the <laughs> ultimate cloud service and, american airlines and, like it. and this one makes me happy because we are apple music subscribers and we do frequently fly american so it's Yay. like oh goody i get one <laughs> excellent <laughs> Um, if you would like a new cell phone carrier, um, Verizon are offering free Apple Music subscriptions as part of their high-end cell phone plans. They're unlimited and beyond unlimited. Now, beyond unlimited tells me that Verizon still don't have a dictionary. Because <laughs> unlimited means unlimited. There is no beyond unlimited, but that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, for fans of the iPhone SE, if you were very, very quick, you briefly could have bought one twice. Um, Apple have a clearance store in the US and very briefly, the iPhone SE made an appearance and then very promptly got cleared. Uh, So obviously there's still a demand for those devices. Uh, There are rumours that we may see a second generation SE, maybe in a March event. Might be nice. We shall see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Transit directions have come to more European countries, specifically Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland. So clearly they were focusing on the Scandinavian countries. Apple, Johnson & Johnson have partnered on a new stroke prevention study in the US only. And then we have some Apple Pay news. Uh, TD Ameritrade has added support for Apple Pay as well as for Apple's business chat feature, which is a bit slower to roll out than I was expecting, but people are starting to use it. And Apple Pay is now also in places like Target and Speedway and Taco Bell, which is good for Americans. 
Target makes me me happy. Yay. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I mean, that is a big deal, right? That is... Yes. Here in Europe, we're not used to this concept. Here in Europe, if a store does tap to pay, and pretty much all of our banks have been doing tap to pay for years, then you have tap to pay. doesn't matter whether it's Android Pay or Apple Pay. If it's tap to pay, it's tap to pay. It's only in America you have these weirdo things where you can tap some cards, but not other cards. What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've they've now hit almost all, I believe, everywhere I shop on a regular basis with Target, with the adding of Target. So, uh, yeah. And a lot of them already had, you know, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's. And I don't know, you probably don't know those brands, but they're... Oh, even, yeah, even over here, we know those brands from TV. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, I mean, I do my shopping 100% Apple Watch only. Yeah. And whether it be the smallest little news agent where I pick up, you know, a can of Coke or something, or whether it be my entire weekly shop in Lidl, where in in Lidl, actually, they don't have the 30 euro limit on the tap to pay with Apple Pay, uh, because Uh. Apple Pay is actually more secure, so it makes sense. So you can just pay any amount with your watch in Lidl, which is superb. So yeah, anyway, okay. so good news that Apple Pay in America is becoming more user-friendly. We, we've been ahead of you and we love it. So, you know, enjoy. Oh, yeah. European, not European, the other one, American health insurer, <laughs> I, I, Aetna, I think is how you pronounce it. It's Aetna. not how you spell Aetna. it, but I'm going to pronounce it as Aetna. Um, Aetna is correct. Yeah. Phew. Have partnered with Apple to make a new app called Attain, which is a fitness tracking app that helps users to set realistic goals and then it rewards them for achieving those goals with financial things like gift cards. And if you're very, very good, so if you're not a naughty boy, you can even get a free Apple Watch. Uh, Etna were keen to stress that the company will not use data from the app when making underwriting decisions which would be my one fear from this kind of thing. But if they've addressed yeah. that fear, then I'm, then I'm game. I will, you know, I will happily take free stuff for doing my exercise. Thank you very much. And if they violate <laughs> that, Apple will take away their certificate. Yeah. Right? And I think <laughs> they may also be in some trouble with the Federal Trade Commission if they yeah, really. do that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and we'll end, well, we've two more stories, but the last Apple-specific one, uh, and a bit of good news here. For the 12th year in a row, Apple is Fortune's most admired company. Uh, this is a survey that Fortune do by getting basically business people to rank companies on a whole bunch of criteria, and Apple just keep coming out top. 12 years in a row now. That is pretty darn impressive. Mm. The, uh, the, the, the other story that I have, because so far it's all been direct Apple news, one bit of indirect Apple news I definitely want to mention is that Microsoft have had a change in direction about where they want to go with Cortana. Now, they didn't call out Siri at all in this announcement. But the logic obviously says that they would see Siri as the same as Alexa and Google's Assistant, just less popular. Microsoft decided they're not going to try compete with Alexa or Google Assistant. Instead, they're going to use Cortana as a way of adding functionality to Alexa and Google Assistant so that people can use their voice service of choice to interact with Microsoft services like Office 365. And given where Microsoft's strengths lie, this is extremely smart and intelligent of them, in my opinion, and I hope they extend their Cortana integrations to Siri, as and when APIs allow. And then the last thing to say, mark the date. Apple shareholder meeting, 1st of March in the Steve Jobs Theatre. 
had the earnings call gone less well, I I would have thought sparks might fly. But given that the earnings call was quite well received and that shares are up, maybe it won't be quite as dramatic as I thought. But anyway, 1st of March, Steve Jobs Theatre. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I believe you've been to some of these, Linda. I go almost every year. And this year on March 1st, I am going to be on an airplane coming home. So I will oh. not be able to go, which makes me sad. I've got a couple of friends who frequently go. Uh, one woman that goes with me, you mm. know, almost every year. So I'm hoping that one of the two of them will go and uh, write some notes for me because the press reports on those hit on a few things, but they're, in my opinion, the press reports are not uh, nearly as interesting as the meetings themselves. Right. Uh, so, so maybe next year, Bart, I can, I can go to the meeting and then come give a report on the, on the podcast, but it won't be this year. Okay, well, you know, the fact that you've ever been in the room at all means that your insight is much better than mine. I have no idea what a shareholder meeting would look like. There, yeah. Okay, there, that's there, not true. I know what yeah. shareholder meetings for other co- for one company look like, but it's not Apple. Oh, it's so not Apple. <laughs> S- someday I'll just tell you stories from past memories of... of, of... Linda, I'm really sorry, but Discord has decided your stories are going to have to wait. It's just completely gone terrible again. I am going to take that as a signal to round out the show. I don't even know if my panelists can hear me anymore at this stage, but anyway. Uh, Nick, are you still able to hear me? Um, Or Linda, can either of you hear me? No, okay. Then I'm going to round out the show by saying thank you very much to my panel, uh, Nick is Spligosh, S-P-L-I-O-G-S-H on the Twitters and Linda is involved with the Silicon Valley Mac user group and if you live in Silicon Valley and are a Mac user you should go along to that um, and thank you to the panel for uh, for their time um, and thank you to everyone who supports the show in any way. You will find detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie There are buttons there to support the show. You can... Um, donate one time on PayPal or you can become a Patreon member which is great because that gives me reliable income to help pay the bills and there are affiliate programs for people who need cool things like VMs over on DigitalOcean and people who need to register domains over on Hover.com Again, you'll find all that at less-talk.ie I've been your host Bart Bouchard so you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time happy computing! You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey Siri, could you read the Three Geeky Ladies promo script? Sure. Elisa says, Welcome to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast and introduces Suse and Vicky. Suse says, Hello everyone. Vicky says, Hi. Elisa Want to know how we feel about the new Apple product? To say, what about the iOS camera, Vicky, or the MacBook Pro update, Elisa? To say, and Vicky in unison. Then, listen to the Three Geeky Ladies podcast. Siri, the Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the My Mac Podcasting Network. Okay.